This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. When entrepreneurial concepts are brought forth, chances are that uh, men and women are both behind them. But research by the Wharton School's Ethan Mollick looks at how some personality traits may be the difference between successful operations and ones that are not. Women apparently have a higher level of humility than men do, which in part leads to fewer attempts to bring forth an idea and fewer attempts to raise funding, even through crowdfunding. Ethan joins us here in the studio. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks very much. Explain the research a little bit. So if you look overall at uh, the chance of someone starting a company, it turns out that if you know their gender, it's a really strong predictor of whether or not someone will become an entrepreneur. So women are less likely to be entrepreneurs than men. Mm -hmm. And this has been a big puzzle because women are as innovative, companies run by women are successful. So why are women not launching companies at the same rate? And that's the puzzle that we were trying to solve with this research. What we did was we thought about why people start companies. And there's actually a lot of research on this. uh, And it shows that overall, entrepreneurship is kind of buying a lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. So you've heard the statistic that something like half of companies fail. It's a little over that over a five-year period of time. So most people who play the entrepreneurship game lose. And so in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to be overconfident. You have Mm -hmm. to believe that you're better than everyone around you. And so, in fact, overconfidence is the biggest psychological predictor of whether or not you're going to become an entrepreneur. So having misplaced confidence in yourself and thinking you can win (laughs) when other people always lose, uh, is a strong predictor of entrepreneurship. And so we, we call this kind of overconfidence in sort of classic Greek-style hubris, right? Yep. The idea of yep. like misfounded self-confidence. So we were thinking about this hubris result, and this is work I was doing with Venkat Kupaswamy at the University of North Carolina. And we realized that there is actually another set of research on gender that has found something across cultures and across ages uh, called the male hubris, female humility effect. Okay. And what it says is that women have lower levels of hubris than men. They're less likely to be overconfident. Mm-hmm. They're especially less likely to make what we call the fundamental attribution error. Mm-hmm. So the fundamental attribution error is the belief that when things go right, it's all because of your genius. <laughs> and when things go wrong, it's because of luck or outside forces. Right. So men are much more prone to the fundamental attribution error. They're much more likely to believe that they are right, that, that success is because of their own doing and yeah. failure is someone else's fault than women. <laughs> uh, so women actually have a more accurate judge of risk in this particular way. Yeah. But also on the other end, it's called male hubris, female humility effect. Male have more, men have more hubris. Women, in addition to having lower hubris, also have higher levels of humility. Humility means that in the face of actual success, you're less likely to attribute it to yourself and you're less likely to take advantage of it. So we thought if entrepreneurship is based in part on hubris, maybe this male hubris, female humility effect actually shows us something about why women are less likely to do startups. And there's a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. So there is the fact that um, women tend to uh, that women tend to have a lower preference for startups. There are issues that we can discuss later of ongoing misogyny and social barriers to female sure. entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. But but even given all of that, women still seem less likely. So we thought maybe this was the reason. So we actually looked 
in a field I study a lot, which is crowdfunding. Yep. And crowdfunding is interesting because we can watch a lot of people fail, succeed, and try at things in a very transparent way. So in this case, what we did was we looked at people who had succeeded or failed the first time they tried to raise money on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So the people who succeeded in raising money were those who had a goal and they raised over that goal or that amount. So they were trying to raise $10,000 to produce a new kind of coffee cup and they raised 10000 or 11000 or 15000 We also looked at people who failed. So they were trying to raise $10,000 to make a new coffee cup, but they raised $0 or $5,000. dollars mm -hmm. What we figured was that you were getting that everybody is sort of justified in trying entrepreneurship the first time because you don't know how good you are. Right. But whether you fail or succeed the first time, you've now learned something about your own ability sure. to become an entrepreneur. So the people who failed have now have new information that indicates they may not be so great at this. And the more they fail by, the more it's an indicator they didn't do a great job. Right. right. So people who failed to raise nine thousand dollars out of the ten thousand. Great. People who raise zero dollars out of ten thousand should be learning some lesson that they, they're doing something wrong. But it's interesting because when you think about uh, you know with crowdfunding and ideas on crowdfunding sites, people that that are thinking about investing in it are, are investing in the idea. They're not really investing in the person, at least at the outset. Exactly, and it, it, so. What's nice is that the gender shouldn't have a role in this, and I haven't right. found any in terms of whether or not you know people are more likely to sort of try initially, and we control for all these factors. Right. So what we defined hum hubris as is starting a company, trying a second attempt at crowdfunding when you failed by a lot the first time around. Yeah. And we defined humility as not trying again when you've had a big success. So I've raised fifteen thousand dollars rather than ten thousand. I should be more likely to try. It tells me I'm very good at this. Sure. Yeah. I raised zero dollars out of ten thousand. It tells me I'm bad at Time this. Time to try something else. Exactly. So we found evidence of this effect. So as you failed by larger and larger amounts, disproportionately women more than men were discouraged from trying again. Right. Now that's a very rational outcome, right? right because right. you've learned something. That's so men were much more likely to try. But also on the other end, as you succeeded by larger and larger amounts, women again increasingly disproportionately were less likely to try again than men. So they were less hmm. encouraged by success uh, and more discouraged by failure. The discouraged by failure is completely rational, but it means that you know it benefits women individually. They're not engaging in doomed ventures, mm -hmm. but it hurts them as a group because it means that you don't have enough mm. women buying lottery tickets, right? So no lottery winners are women. You don't have as many successful entrepreneurs that are women. Right. You have less role models and less of a good basis to start things with. We found that if women were as, in our sample at least, if women were as modest and um, as unhumble as men, um, and and it had his uh, and is overconfident. There would have been thirty percent, roughly about twenty eight percent more female founding attempts in our sample. So that was a huge number oh, of people yeah. being discouraged by this this psychological characteristic. It explained a, a lot of the gap in the founding rates between women and men in our sample. So and how many how many different uh, crowdfunding uh, concepts did you actually look at in the first place? So we started with everybody who's ever tries to raise money, and we narrowed yeah. it down. Uh, if I remember correctly, to several thousand yeah. uh, attempts. So it was a pretty good set of numbers. We're joined by Ethan Mollick of the Wharton School. We're talking about his research about uh, about uh, crowdfunding and the differences between men and women. We were talking actually, you know, before we went on the air about a report that Laura Wang had done uh, that looked at at VC funding rounds and how uh, that report basically said that that a good-looking man would be able to get more money than than a woman. Uh, but a woman would be able to get more money than an ugly man. And, and it's interesting how the personal dynamics play a huge role in terms of the actual funding and the potential successes of these different ideas. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean the. These get very complicated, right? So you, Professor Wang is a is a, a fellow professor here at the Wharton School, and she's been looking at pitching and trying to understand when pitches are accepted and when they're not. So yeah. when people present ideas to angel investors or venture capitalists. Yeah. And she's been finding these interesting results about when uh, attractiveness matters. And she found that attractiveness mattered much more for men than for women yeah. uh, in pitching. So we're still trying to work through these things. It's complicated. I mean, the, the gap is pretty big. So if you look at the number of, of companies uh, started by women in the United States, it's around 38 to 40% of all companies are female founders. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a guessing game, if you don't mind. So okay. what percentage do you think of VC-backed companies have female co-founders? Of VC ones? Yes. So 40% overall, but yeah. of venture capital-backed companies, what percent of them do you think have female co-founders? I I'm going to say it's probably quite a bit lower, correct? Yep. It's, you, you got that right. So somewhere between 2 and 4%. Yeah. Right? So like yeah. terrifyingly lower, yeah. right? Something as weird is going on here. Yeah. Um, so I have also have a set of research trying to understand why... You know, what, what's happening there and how to improve it. And I'm also looking at crowdfunding for that. Um, so one of the things to kind of note is women in general are less likely to raise money than men in yeah. almost every circumstance. So we talked about some of uh, Professor Wang's research. There's also uh, other research looking at bank loans and a whole bunch of other categories. And um, what we found was interesting in crowdfunding as opposed to any other form of fundraising. So mm -hmm. raising money on Kickstarter. Yeah. The exact same project, uh, controlling for all the factors, women are 13% more likely to succeed than men. On right? Kickstarter. On Kickstarter, and that's the only huh. platform. So we, we've been trying to figure out this puzzle. I've been, this is work with Jason Greenberg of NYU, uh, and he and I have been trying to figure this out. And what we thought is that the reason might be, might have to do with the percentage of uh, people who are actually funding projects, right? Okay. So. If we take a step back and think about why women don't raise as much money as often as men, uh, there's a bunch of reasons. Again, we sort of talked about misogyny, and that's been an sure, issue that's yeah. been in the press recently, right? Uh, there's an issue that women in general tend to start companies that are different than the kind of companies that men start. They're more likely to start a company out of the home. They're more likely to be in areas like retail or venture okay. capital, and bank loans are not as common. Um, so there's a bunch of reasons, but one key reason seems to be, and this is a problem in, we see in discrimination everywhere, which is something we call homophily. So homophily okay. is the principle that birds of a feather flock together. Sure. Right? So people like people like themselves. Okay. So VCs tend to be mostly male. They have friend networks that are mostly male. Yeah. Those friends are mostly male. And as a result, you have a, a very strong network of men who talk to each other. It's very hard for a woman to get access to these people. Especially if it's been something that's kind of been in place now, you know, for 10, 20 years, something like that. Exactly. It doesn't matter how sort of, you know, proactive and feminist you are as a, as a guy. Yeah. If, you're ne if the network you're part of is mostly men, you're just not going to see as many women projects. You're not going to hear through your network about as many successful women. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do due diligence as easily. So this has been a problem in a lot of fields, right? So yeah. one of the things that you, you hear about as a solution to this is, well, what if we try and increase the number of women who are venture capitalists? Can we okay. solve this problem? Because then we're reversing that trend. Right. And so that, that, that's been a policy for a lot of different kinds of discrimination. So we wanted to see if that was the explanation for why women were doing better than men, because yeah. there's less barriers to funding projects sure, yeah. on Kickstarter. So we looked at a variety of projects ranging from areas that were typically more female-oriented, like fashion, okay. um, to things that were more male-oriented, like video games. Okay. We f and so in the fashion case, over 60% of funders, if I remember correctly, were women. So those were mostly women funding things. Sure. In technology, it was 80% men, or video sure, games, 80% yeah. men doing the funding, yep. right? 
What we found, though, was that the difference, the reason why women were outperforming men wasn't because of fashion. It was in areas where women were least represented. So women were doing mm-hmm. the best compared to men, having the highest success rate in technology and to a lesser extent video games, huh. which turned out to be an interesting puzzle. So we've now been trying to figure out uh, the answer, and I think we have an interesting solution. So we actually did a bunch of experiments, uh, which is fun because I wasn't trained in experiments, but I've been <laughs> learning how to do them. Um, so we, we created a project. We took a Kickstarter project that was very successful, and we created two exact versions of that project. So yeah. the only difference between the two was the creator. In one case, it was created by Jessica Smith. In one case, it was created by Michael Smith. Everything else stayed the same. Okay. Uh, Jessica and Michael are the most common names for millennials, and Smith is the most common last name. We also used uh, some data from Princeton to pick two equally attractive individuals. So they were controlled for attractiveness. <laughs> so they were equally hot, <laughs> men and women, um, in each project. And You mean we, you, didn't, you didn't pick e- equally ugly people? No. Well, yeah, it's the same thing, right? right exactly, yeah. <laughs> they were equally average. Oh, Okay. All um, right, all right. So what we did was we then, um, in a lab setting, showed a bunch of people these two different pro- these either one of these two projects. We right. either saw created by a man or a woman, right? And we controlled for a whole bunch of other factors, right? In in that, uh, and what we wanted to do is figure out whether the project was created by a man or a woman made a difference. So we actually gave them money that they could choose to donate to the project. We right. asked them whether the project quality was better. We found out for men, there was no impact in this case. Men oh. didn't care whether it was created by a man or a woman. There was no significant They effect. just wanted to see the venture, be, be the idea be a good one. At least in this case, it didn't seem to move the needle there. Right, right. With women, it turned out to be really interesting. So for two-thirds of women, they actually thought the project created by the man was better than the project created by the woman. Okay. For one-third of women, though, we, kind of, we, we, we me- took a bunch of measures, and we realized about one-third of the women in our sample were what we call activists. These were women who felt that women who knew women were underrepresented in technology, right. who felt that women um, suffered from discrimination in this field, and who thought it was important to try and fix that. They thought okay. the government should help, or they should help, or it was important to try and change this. Those women, and those were independent of the research, those women were much more likely to think the project created by a woman, a woman was better and much more likely to fund it. Right, right. Right? So all of the success that we found of why women were doing better than men came from a small group of women who were helping support other women in areas where there was right. the most disadvantage for right. them. So the solution to the problem of how do you increase the representation of women turned out not to be from having more women participate, but it's from having these activists who are actually out to help and push having forward them, the concept ex- of, of women entrepreneurs? Exactly, it's yeah. it's a sort of it's you know there it's it's a sort of self uh, it's a, helping that your own group seems to be an important part here. So then, with with the fact that uh, that not as many women will tend to go back a second time to do a different project. I guess in some respects, the success that a lot of women have, as you were alluding to it before, in major corporations or in other companies, that's maybe it, it falls right in line that they're more looking at uh, the, the traditional company that's already been in place and they're making X product and they've done this for a while compared to going out on their own and, and really taking the gamble. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing successful female entrepreneurship and yeah. all the evidence and research seems to be that having a woman on your board of your startup or as a co-founder increases your chance of success. So women are, are it's not an ability problem. I mean, similarly, right. when, yeah, I kind of look, when yeah. I look at outcomes in crowdfunding, gender doesn't matter in terms of whether or not you're successful in ultimately producing your product, turning into a company or any other factor. But it's a choice and path. But it, it, but it, yes, it does result in a choice of path that that becomes sort of self-fulfilling, right? Sure, if, there's right. No, if there's not enough women doing 
uh, entrepreneurship, then there aren't enough women as funders, there aren't enough women as examples, sure. uh, and that ends up discouraging women and doesn't solve hmm. the misogyny problem. Uh, you mentioned uh, that, that the fact that uh, it really is a case, in a lot of cases, of other women supporting female entrepreneurs that are out there to try and build up the, the levels of success. That seemingly, at least you know, in the early part, has been at a small level. But is it? Are you seeing more of those cases of women supporting other female entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I think one of the nice changes we're seeing is as there's been awareness of this issue, there are more and more female VCs. There's more and more efforts to try and help uh, women succeed, and there's even crowdfunding networks built for women like Plum Alley. Yeah. So there has been this effort to kind of do this. Uh, I've worked a little bit with Alicia Robb of Berkeley and the Kaufman Foundation, and she has been doing active work in trying to think about how you do these sets of issues also. So I think the, the situation is changing, but I think we have to be aware of what's causing it, right, as much as yeah. we have to. And the solution, you know, seems to be in the hands of, and I think it's not just for women, I think it's any underrepresented group that supporting fellow members of the group seems to be the reason why you start to succeed and, and equalize these problems. And, and I wanted to go back uh, to something you were talking about before about the level of success that either men or women were having with these projects that, that you were that you were looking at. The amount of success, whether they you know were able to meet that mark or they came close to that mark or if they got nothing. How, how again, how did that all kind of play in? So uh, overall, women did better than men, yeah. right? Now, part of the issue becomes a question of, okay, are they doing better than men because it's rough out there? For a woman, so only the most persistent women are succeeding, right? Yeah. So maybe the pool of women is better than men. So we actually surveyed a lot of people in the crowdfunding world, and uh, we were able to sort of measure all those human capital factors. Did you go to college? Do you have kids? Did you, yeah. uh, you know, how long have you worked in the industry? And none of, the, and even taking all that into account, we still saw the same effect, right? right? So right. crowdfunding seems unique in providing more opportunity. One of the reasons I'm interested in it is that its ability to help democratize access to capital, right? Because right, right. it's not just gender. The mean distance between a venture capitalist and a company that invests in is only 80 miles. Right, so if you don't it's live relatively close, yeah, yeah, if you don't live by a VC, if you haven't gone generally to you know a, graduated from a good school, if you you know if you don't know the right set of people, it's hard. It's not impossible, but it's much harder to get access to venture capital. Right. So crowdfunding is interesting because it spreads the net much wider yeah. and lets anyone kind of raise money. So yep. it's not just women; it's also people who live outside of major cities. It's people who are amateur inventors. Right not pay people that are not specifically involved in that realm, which is which is obviously a, a large part of the cash that's a, that's involved in that as well. Exactly, right? Otherwise, the money keeps coming from the same people and going to the same people, right. and it doesn't ever kind of break out of that world. The, the, the aspect of overconfidence, though, is an interesting one because a lot of people assume that, that being overconfident is a negative, yet in some of these cases, overconfidence was actually a positive. Well, so overconfidence is usually a negative individually, right? Yeah. Uh, if you just, you know, so the way you calculate returns, right, is you look at the chance of you winning something and you multiply it by how much you win, right? Yeah. So that's why lottery tickets never a good deal, right? You have a one, <laughs> right. in a, you, exactly. you know, you have a one in a hundred million <laughs> chance of winning a million dollars, you know, it's, it's costing you money to, to play the lottery. Especially, right? especially if you're playing it week after week after week it, after week. Exactly, right? Yeah. So in the same way, entrepreneurship, again, you know, if, if you have an advanced degree from a top school, the odds are much better. I've got a research on working entrepreneurs shows they do quite well. But yeah. on average, you're buying a lottery ticket, right? So the expected return from 
entrepreneurship for most people is negative because mm-hmm. most businesses close and even the businesses that succeed, only a small portion of them end up becoming super rich, right? right. Less than 2% of companies in the United States receive venture capital and right. go on to IPO and all these other things. So overconfidence individually means that you're not assessing the risks properly because yeah. you think you're better than everyone else based on no evidence. As a group, though, overconfidence gets people to try things and sure. advances state of technology, state of society, yeah. right? So the collective failure of entrepreneurs is bad for those entrepreneurs who are failing, but good for us, uh, you know, as people who want to benefit from innovation and, you know, and creativity. Right. But because of the fact that that this research really links around uh, personal traits and, and not you know, success in the, in the, you know, on, on a specific project, you're talking about, you know, hubris and, and, and overconfidence. And, and, you know, these are things that are, that are traits in people that aren't probably as easily adjusted as making an adjustment within a a specific business plan. Is there, is there a thought process that the numbers and the research you did might change over time? Or is this a pattern that probably will stay the path for a long time to come. So just first to mention, just so people don't think this is too trait-based. So for a long time in entrepreneurship, we've been studying every aspect of sort of personality to try and figure out whether you can give someone a test to find out whether they'll be successful as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And I, for me, at least, the good answer is you can't. Right. We have no way of predicting entrepreneurial success. Right. We can predict the chance of you going into entrepreneurship, right, which right. is what overconfidence helps predict. So. I think those traits seem pretty fixed, but the good news is for anyone out there who's thinking about being an entrepreneur is that I couldn't tell you in advance whether you're gonna succeed or fail sure. based on your personality, right? Right. There is not. There is a sense that maybe entrepreneurs are more likely to have, want to have control, that might be an issue. There are some other issues that entrepreneurs who are willing to share, you know, who are more willing to share the wealth do more, do better, but there's not really a clear characteristic that that kind of puts things forward. So I agree, the trait stuff is is kind of locked in place. Yeah. I think you could change your own sense of confidence by looking around and taking a realistic viewpoint about your own chance of success, and also sure. about staging a startup in a way that you learn information as you go, so you don't commit all of your money to launching a restaurant sure. without having tested your ideas first and without <laughs> going through, you know, there's a there's a method out there called Lean Startup that gets around some of these issues. So the advice I'd have to entrepreneurs is realize you're probably overconfident. Yeah. You know, it, that that's okay, but do what you can to, to re- learn about your own re- chance of success or failure before you commit all your money and time and quit your job. Uh, to do this and, and lower and, your risk as and, you go. Uh, and obviously if the if the concept if the idea is a is a sound fundamental one that seemingly is in an area where there is levels of success right now it really wouldn't matter whether you're a man or a woman because uh, let's just say you know any type of entrepreneurial path in the healthcare industry right now <laughs> certainly if 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 that's kind of your path with the way healthcare is going right now that might be an area where no matter if you're a man, woman, whatever, there's a great opportunity to be successful because of how that area is developing. Yeah, I mean, a good idea and a good team tend to win. Yeah. The lesson, though, tends to be that women still have it tougher than men yeah. uh, in getting access to resources. So not in launching a startup, not in... Uh, and being able to run something successfully, yeah. but they have trouble getting access to resources in most areas of funding, and that's something we have to still work on. Right. Doesn't mean that these are marginal impacts, right? So sure. they discourage women from trying. I think it would benefit everybody, given all of our research, to have more people 
be successful entrepreneurs. So both for the people who are making the money doing it and yeah. for the society that benefits from the results. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see you again, Ethan. Thanks very much for coming over. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.